T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Take you live to this news conference going on right now. James Fry is the Moscow, Idaho police chief. They have arrested a 28-year-old man in this um, mass murder in Idaho. Here are the details. Call came from inside the home from one of the surviving roommate's cell phones. Moscow police responded and found two victims on the second floor and two victims on the third floor. On November 17th, Autopsies were conducted, and the Latok County Coroner confirmed the identity of the four victims. The cause and manner of death was homicide by stabbing. Some had defensive wounds, and each had multiple, um, each had been stabbed multiple times. These murders have shaken our community, and no arrest will ever bring back these young students. However, we do believe justice will be found through the criminal process. This was a very complex and extensive case. We developed a clear picture over time, and we stand assured that the work was not, the, the work is not done, but be assured the work is not done. This has just started. Since November, we have remained laser focused on pursuing, pursuing every lead in our pursuit of justice for the victims and their families. I recognize the frustration with the lack of information that's been released. However, providing any details in this criminal investigation might have tainted the upcoming criminal prosecution or alerted the suspect of our progress. We will continue to provide as much information as we can as the process moves forward. Today, I want to specifically thank our dedicated Moscow Police Department detectives, patrol officers, the Idaho State detectives, the Idaho State troopers, and their crime lab technicians and scientists, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation for the resources and personnel to conduct this massive investigation. It was the dedication of them and the persistence and the numerous hours that led to an arrest Fortunately, these highly skilled people work together as a cohesive team to solve this case. I also want to thank our community and the nation. Over the past six weeks, I've been continually reminded of how much our community cares. Locally, public support has been exceptional with kind words, food for investigators, and letters of support. You will never know how much your words of encouragement help us through these trying times. I appreciate each of you 
in each of your kindness. Agencies and individuals from across the nation have reached out to us to express their support to this department. I'm reminded how our Moscow community, our families, and the nation has been impacted by this daily. Finally, I do want to thank our media partners for the help. You kept this in the uh, news. You helped us with tips. You kept things going, and we truly appreciate that. And you are the product of those 19,000 tips that we received, which is an impressive number. I would like to uh, invite Bill Thompson, the county prosecutor, up at this time. Good afternoon, folks. My name is Bill Thompson. I'm the Lake County prosecutor. And it's sad to be here, but happy to be here at the same time. As Chief Fry indicated, um, a criminal complaint was filed yesterday here in Lataw County, charging the defendant, Mr. Kohlberger, with four counts of first-degree murder, in addition to felony burglary, which involves entering the residence with the intent to commit the crime of murder. Mr. Kohlberger, and let me preface, there is a pending case now in court, and I and my office and the investigators have to live with the restrictions that our Supreme Court places on pretrial publicity. That said, I promise you we will share with you, through the court process or otherwise, whatever we are allowed to. I just appreciate your patience on that. The uh, factual basis for the charges are summarized in what's called a probable cause affidavit that is on file with the court. According to the rules of the Idaho Supreme Court, that is sealed until Mr. Kohlberger is physically back in Lataw County and has been served with the Idaho arrest warrant. At that time, we expect that that affidavit will be available to you so you can share the true facts with all of your readers and your watchers and your listeners uh, and all of the people who are interested and really need to know what's going on. So please have patience with us on that. Uh, we hope to get that to you as soon as we can. As far as Mr. Kohlberger, I can share with you that he is a graduate student at Washington State University and has an apartment residence over at Pullman. He has had an initial appearance in front of a judge in Pennsylvania. He is being held without bond, and the warrant from our magistrate judge here also provides for no bond. We understand that he's scheduled to be back in court in Pennsylvania next Tuesday afternoon and that a public defender has been appointed for him there. The process at this point is since he was arrested in another state, he has the opportunity to either waive extradition and return voluntarily to the state of Idaho, or if he prefers not to waive extradition, then we will initiate extradition proceedings through our governor's office. If we do that, it can take a while for him to get here. So again, I'm asking for your patience and understand that's just the way the system works. Once he gets here, uh, he'll have an initial appearance with our magistrate. They'll deal with issues such as making sure counsel is, uh, competent counsel is representing him, and the case will be scheduled for further hearings. Your primary source of factual information is going to be the court record, because that's what the Supreme Court says uh, we need to refer you to. So please pay attention to what's going on in court and have people there to watch and hear what's being said. Uh, as, as an attorney, myself, my office, we are limited on what we are allowed by the courts to say outside of the courtroom. 
So please just work with us. Finally, as the chief indicated, this is not the end of this investigation. In fact, this is a new beginning. You all now know the name of the person who has been charged with these offenses. Please get that information out there. Please ask the public, anyone who knows about this individual, to come forward, call the tip line, report anything you know about him to help the investigators and eventually our office and the court system understand fully everything there is to know about not only the individual, but what happened and why. Next, I'll introduce Colonel Ked Wells from the Idaho State Police. Thank you. It's a live news conference going on right now. There has been an arrest in the Idaho murder case. Kedrick Wills, I serve as a director of the Idaho State Police and certainly want to express our appreciation for your attendance here today. These tragic murders took four young, vibrant lives from our community. Nothing we do can bring them back. The only thing that we can do in law enforcement to honor their memories that we know of is to bring this to a successful conclusion. This has been a very difficult time for the families, the university, the community, and the state of Idaho. However, it is also proven that communities come together in tough times. Certainly appreciate the support of the local community and our national audience that has been following us as we've worked, our investigators have worked through this case. I'm thankful also to you, the media partners, who have helped keep this case in the forefront that generates the tips and continues, will, we hope will continue to generate information that will help us to a conclusion of this proceeding. I'd like to express our appreciation on behalf of the Idaho State Police to Chief Fry, his leadership and the entire Moscow Police Department for the way that they handled this from the very beginning. He directed the right people to the right, right positions that led us to this conclusion today. I've had the utmost confidence in this investigation and in Chief Fry as well as in Mr. Bill Thompson and the Latah County Prosecutor's Office who've been a great partner throughout this. Nothing has deterred the commitment of the investigators who've worked on this case regardless of the organization they represent. It's been very trying and very difficult as we know, as you know, that it has been on those investigators as they do the tedious work that they're so good at doing. The partnerships is what's led here as well. The partnerships between Moscow Police Department, the, I'd like to express our appreciation with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, specifically the special agent in charge out of the Salt Lake City Division, Dennis Rice, and also what the work that happened in the last 24 hours in, in Pennsylvania with the arrest with the Pennsylvania State Police and Colonel Evanchik with the Pennsylvania State Police. We appreciate what they've done across the nation to help us as well. As Bill shared, this investigation is far from over. In fact, I appreciate what he shared, that this is not an ending, but rather a new beginning. The difference now is, as he shared, that we are dictated what information we can share by the court process and by laws in our state of Idaho. And so we will share, as he shared, um, Mr. Thompson uh, is absolutely committed to share everything he can share through the court process. We've got to make sure that we don't get in front of that process. And uh, we really appreciate, deeply appreciate everybody's support here. The relationships that were forged here and the partnerships that were forged have led to this. And based on that is why we're here today. And we continue to believe that the best way we can honor these four lives that have been taken is to make sure that we have a successful outcome here.
One of the partnerships that's been forged throughout this is a partnership with the University of Idaho. And on that, I'd like to introduce the president of the University of Idaho, Mr. Scott Green. Thank you, good afternoon. Scott Green, um, president of the University of Idaho. Today's news and arrest is a welcome one. It's a relief to our university, our community, and our extended Vandal family. The outpouring of support over the past six weeks helped sustain us during the most trying time. It provided the strength that helped us navigate the international scrutiny visited on our students and employees. We are truly thankful for the compassion and acts of kindness shown to our community. Kindness is contagious, and it provided the light that reclaimed ground lost to evil and darkness. We first want to acknowledge and thank Governor Little for the early promise of financial support that enabled the university to secure our campus and focus on helping our students and our employees in the wake of the crimes. We also appreciate the Idaho State Police and the highly visible security presence that brought comfort and calm to a community shocked and confused by the senseless crimes. We never lost faith that this case would be solved and are grateful for the hard work of the Moscow Police Department and their law enforcement partners. Vast and committed FBI resources brought important expertise to this complex case. Across the board, dedicated, highly competent personnel worked this case to arrest. This crime has nevertheless left a mark on our university, our community, and our state. While we cannot bring back Maddie, Kaylee, Zaina, and Ethan, we can thoughtfully and purposefully carry their legacy forward in the work that we do. Our students come first, and that was proven each and every day of this investigation. We are committed to safely delivering the college town ex atmosphere, campus experience, and high-touch quality education for which the University of Idaho is known. With time, we will heal, we will move forward together, and we will remain vandal strong. With that, I'd like to turn it back over to Chief Fry. You're listening to a live news conference in Moscow, Idaho this afternoon. Open the floor to questions. However, I want to remind everyone, as Prosecutor Bill Thompson explained, any factual information regarding the arrest of Kohlberger is currently sealed per Idaho law and will not be released until he has appeared in an Idaho court. Please formulate your questions accordingly. I recognize there are a lot of questions and I will try to answer as many of them as I can. Lauren Patterson, uh, Northwest Public Broadcasting, Spokane Public Radio. I realize the records are sealed. I guess I'm not too familiar with how it works, but can you tell us what tip, what lead, what piece of evidence really led you all the way from Idaho to the suspect in Pennsylvania? As I've said in the past, that's part of our investigation, and uh, we won't be releasing that this time. We, we will have those answers. We'll have them um, as soon as we can uh, make those available to you. Then a quick follow-up and a two-parter. Is our community safe, or is law enforcement still on the search for other suspects who might be involved in this attack? What I can tell you is we have an individual in custody who committed these um, horrible crimes, and um, 
I do believe our community is safe, but we still need to be vigilant, right? We still have talked about this in the past. We always need to be aware of our surroundings and make sure that uh, we're aware of what's going on. Hi, Chief. How soon into the investigation did police and law enforcement begin to spot Mr. Koberger as a potential suspect? And a follow-up, how many tips, if you can say, were specifically related to Mr. Koberger? Um, to the tip part, honestly, I can't answer that question, so I'm not even going to speculate on that. On the other part, that's part of our investigation, and it will come out. Um, I'd like the mic to please come right over here. Thank you. Dana Griffin with NBC News. Can you confirm that Kohlberger asked whether or not anyone else had been arrested when he was in custody? I cannot confirm that or I'm not sure um, of that information, but that would still be a part of our investigation. Did CODIS initially return any hits on this guy? That's still part of our investigation and that will come out. If we could get somebody over here, please. And then one final question. Is there any message to the online sleuths who slandered and harassed people who they believed were responsible. There was a lot of speculation going on and we've always said from the very beginning that we're the official uh, message that comes out and to pay attention to what we're putting out there to the press. I'm Nancy Liu with News Nation and we were over at the house this morning and you told us that the remediation would begin today. Uh, it was suddenly stopped. Can you tell us why? Yes. Um, the house cleanup um, has been halted, and that came by a legal request from the court. Christina Corbin, Fox News. Uh, Chief, have you identified a motive? That is part of the investigation, and that will um, come out as we continue the investigation. But what we still ask is, is for people to continually send us things in the tip um, line. We are still looking for more information. We're still trying to build that picture, just like we have stated all along. Um, we're putting all the pieces together, and that will help. Chief Veronica Miracle with CNN. Any indication that the suspect knew the victims? That's part of the investigation as well. Yeah, so I'm, I'm yeah. going to call it at this point, Sue, because, in, and I think we, we anticipated just in hearing, he, he was very careful at the beginning of the news conference, and then when he wrapped up, when he went into Q&A, saying, look, until this affidavit is unsealed, when he's back in Idaho, we're not going to know a whole lot. So this is going to go on. They're going to try to get some answers. If anything happens, we'll certainly get that to you. But that was, you know, and we, we were running some of the best of interviews yesterday, and you and I were talking in the 5 o'clock hour. I said, are we ever going to find someone in this case? How long is this going to drag on? And I, I was playing racquetball this morning. I get out and I get home and I see this on Fox. I hadn't really paid attention to anything. I text you. I'm like, wow, it seems like they got somebody. I'm at lunch. I get your text. I almost, I'm like, woo. Yeah. We had to go in and look it up. This is a really big deal. And, you know, law enforcement here in Idaho, uh, they've been really nice to the press, which is unusual. They've been kind to people around them saying, we really appreciate the, your help and your info, but they really can't say anything. Well, I'm going to, um, let me get caught up on some business here. We'll come back. There are a few things that I, I want to throw in that have developed throughout the course of the day about this guy that we'll get into, and then we'll uh, kind of get off and running here with the show. Let's we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You know, that weekend of uh, November 13th was interesting because, and I think this is kind of forgotten, not that it's super important in relation to what happened in Idaho, but that was the, the weekend that there was that brutal murder at the University of Virginia. And I, I've said this before, Sue. I remember coming in on that Monday, the 14th of um, November, and I, I heard all this stuff on the news. I was listening to Fox that day about what happened in Virginia, you know, because that was a former player that killed, I think, yeah. three people at the time. And then this was kind of like a, a secondary story. Hey, there are four kids that were in a home that were brutally, and I remember the initial reports where it was like a horrific crime scene and what jumped out was because the other thing was gun related and most of these are gun related that it was a stabbing so it took if you go back that was on monday there was reporting of that but there was very little focus that whole week on idaho and probably until the end of the week because virginia kind of came together then all of a sudden people are like wait a second what the hell happened in Idaho, right? Yeah, and, and how do we define brutal? And then when you found out they were all stabbed, you're right. You're absolutely right. And then it took off from there. So you had four students. Um, two roommates slept through the stabbings. They didn't wake up until several hours uh, after this all happened. And then they just didn't know what happened. Madison Mogan, Kaylee Goncleves, uh, Zana Kernodal lived in the house. Ethan Chapin, 20, was there visiting um, Zana Kernodal at the time. They were all at fraternities or sororities at the school, and they had all spent nights out with friends. So between 2.26 and 2.52 a.m. that morning, there were calls that were made to a formal boyfriend of Miss uh, Goncleves. You might remember the family came out very early and said, look, we don't think the boyfriend has anything to do with this. And and then they, they stuck with that because that's automatically sometimes where you go. So what we know now is this guy has been arrested um, and charged with murder in connection with all four stabbings. 28-year-old guy, Brian Kohlberger. We just had a news conference in case you missed it. He was arrested in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. And Sue, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the week. The focus has been on um, this car, right? This white Hyundai. And people were being asked by police to, and I think I had seen some report of 70 different cars that were maybe matching that subscription, subscription, description at the University of Idaho. So they saw this sedan near the student's house, right off campus the night of the murders, and they were trying to figure out who might have a connection. So my guess is when we see this affidavit, and if you're just joining us, we don't know the motive, we don't know a lot of details, because according to the law in Idaho, until they have him in Idaho in front of a judge, he's in Pennsylvania right now, 
they can't release the affidavit. Right. So we don't know some of the specifics here, but you'd have to think that that's how this came together, that they eliminated one white car after another and said, look, this may be our guy. And hopefully, we were just talking about this off the air, you would think, given the nature of the attention to this and all of the frustration, that they have this pretty buttoned up at this point, you'd I, hope. I would imagine they would. What else I found interesting was the suspect was a criminal justice major. Is that correct? Yes. And was studying that. And then, of course, there was a post on Reddit. Can you explain that part? Yeah, and that has to do with him being the uh, the criminal justice, um, you know, student at not at Idaho though. So he was a graduate student at Washington University, Washington State, State University, which is not that far, apparently, away. I don't know the geography or, that well, yeah. but here's the um, here's the Reddit post that's getting some attention. And at this point, you, you, we don't know if this is him or not. You're going to have to just, but it, it certainly sounds like it is. Okay, hello, and this was seven months ago, posted by a criminology student. Research participation needed. Hi, my name is Brian. I'm inviting you to participate in a research project that seeks to understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision making when committing a crime. In particular, this study seeks to understand the story behind your most recent criminal offense with an emphasis on your thoughts and feelings throughout your experience. In the event that your most recent offense was not one that led to a conviction, you may still participate. Additional surveys are included after the open-ended section as to best understand your unique unique traits. The uh, study should take 15 to 20 minutes to fully complete. Your identity and answers are completely confidential. You have to be 18 years old, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, you know, student investigator Brian Koberger. So it seems like that's the guy. Now, I I, what would you how do you put that together? Right? Yeah, I, I don't know why he would have uh, participated in that if he thought he was a suspect. So maybe it's great that they uh, have kept this on the down low. Washington State University is eight miles from Moscow, Idaho. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that, it's 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 this is going to be really interesting to uh, dig into and when the, they can talk about it. I know that's not the most fascinating aspect of this case, but to have the University of Idaho and Washington State University be so close together is kind of interesting yeah, to me. Yeah, it is. Uh, so look, it's not like uh, you know a Facebook post or a TikTok video where you got someone describing the crime, but it is sort of an interesting little tidbit with this. And I I think we'll we'll have to wait for the affidavit to find out more information. The other thing that I had reported earlier in the hour before we went to the news conference was that um, he or maybe I didn't say this because the day is so jumbled up, maybe I just said this off the air, that he asked a question. Yes, yeah, Sue, I think I said this to you. Yeah, you did. So he's in the room, and he said, uh, has anyone else been arrested? And then he had a quiet blank stare. Well, the blank stare may be anticipated, but by asking if anyone else had been arrested, that's kind of curious, isn't it? Well, I think that's a good move on him to uh, kind of throw them off. It might be. I really He's a do. criminology student, right? Exactly. That's what. That's my personal He's opinion. Been... Like I know anything, but that's uh, that's my guess. Okay. Now I, I gotta just say because I know it's a holiday week and we, we've been on holiday mode. There's no doubt. I'm watching Fox earlier, and this is, I think, within an hour that this story breaks. They have you've seen what he looks like, right? Uh-huh. Okay. They have a picture, a side by side with him and Ted Bundy at oh, one point. On. I'm like, wait, we're, we're, all, we're already going there Jeez. because uh, one of the obvious questions though is, is this somebody who and there has been at least one report that indicates that they're looking at him for potentially another murder. But it, who knows what, yeah, what that? I, but, but you also would have to think that when the cops in Idaho are saying, "Look, we need all the information we can," you know, stringing together motive that maybe the potential of other victims, wherever they might be, might be something on their mind, right? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Although, well, it's difficult to know, isn't it? I, I, it I, is. I look forward to finding out more info, and I'm sure the families of these kids are 
at least feeling a little bit better. You, you would have to think that there, because I, I can't even imagine the level of frustration that I would have as a parent or even a friend knowing that somebody is still out there who committed these crimes. Uh, we don't have any finality here, but it's a great first step in this arrest in Pennsylvania. We'll keep you posted on that. Get back on track here. We got some, um, actually, uh, somewhat crime-related best of uh, related to school shootings. That was a great conversation with a guy named Eric Dietz from Purdue University who's done some research on this. Coming up on 97.1 FM Talk. You're listening to The Mark Reardon Show on 97.1 FM Talk. Uh, Jay Eric Dietz is with us. He is the director of the Homeland Security Institute at Purdue University, the Boilermakers. Yep. And how are you? Uh, do I call you Jay Eric or Eric or what was what's preferred here? Just Eric will be great. I, was, I wasn't sure. I just wanted to make sure. Well, um, I mentioned, I don't know if you heard this, you were going to kind of getting set up here on the phone line, but we had uh, Cam on last night from Bearing Arms, and he he spoke very highly and mentioned your research, so I thought it would be a good idea to get you on to, to find out what else we can maybe do to really solve the problem of, of some of this horrific gun violence, because obviously they're talking about things in Congress that may or may not work. So tell me a little bit about your research and, and what you discovered. Yeah, originally we just we were looking for a method that could give us more insight into these school, school shootings this is maybe almost uh, eight years ago now. And uh, what we really wanted to try to do is, is if, if you're very pro-gun, um, you know what the answer is. If, if, if you're very anti-gun, you know what the answer is. And about 80% of the public just scratches their head and tries to figure out, well, you know, where do we come down on this? Because you've got these very animated groups that um, look at this problem very differently. And so we actually use computer modeling uh, to, to look at the actual events, mainly in response time, and try to compare the outcome of school resource officers arming uh, the, the um, handful of the, the teachers or the folks inside the school. Right. And looked at trying to strengthen some of the doors and try to contrast that to waiting for the police keeping in mind the average police response time in the country can be at as high as 10 minutes. And really the result was, is we found that the school resource officer was by far um, the best answer to reduce casualties in these kinds of events. Uh, unfortunately, we had a cell signal that's kind of bouncing around here, so I hope that we can we can stick with this. But I'm, I'm curious, how how can you... As someone in academia, this is where research always confuses me. How can we know that the research, the modeling that you use, is somewhat that is is applicable to the real world? Because obviously, and I believe this, I'm curious about your answers here, I think we do need to harden the targets and we have to focus on these resource officers. Cam talked about that last night. But how does the research really prove that? Well, you know, I think think we prove it in a couple of ways. We prove it with you know, some of John Lott's research, which is correlational, and yep. you'll find some folks that say, oh, my gosh, it's correlational. It really doesn't matter. And what we say is, well, let's look at response time. If we just look at response time and say, uh, you know, I propose, uh, you know, the hypothesis that response time is the primary function that impacts this kind of thing, we can actually test that. We can test do lower response times reduce casualties, and that's what we proved that that indeed happens, um, that, you know, the, the idea of putting a school resource officer in the school from the response time modeling that we did showed that we could reduce 70% of the casualties. 
Now, we did that by looking at typical school shooting events that have happened, average school response times, and average outcomes for what happens when uh, we have an armed intruder. And unlike the real events that are actually quite um, quite uncommon, very, you know, even though we've had several lately, that there are reasonably uncommon events. There's not a ton of them. Right. So what we're able to do with the models is we can run the models and have a thousand or 10,000 school shooting events, and we can average the events over time. We can average the events looking at the distribution of police response times, the distribution of outcomes that might happen with, um, uh, you know, confronting, um, you know, an armed intruder by a school resource officer or confronting an armed intruder with just locked doors or with um, even as low as 5% of the um, teachers, um, you know, doing concealed right. carry. Right. So the bottom line is the model is you, you can reduce this potentially, reduce fatalities in an active shooting situation by 80% with the presence of a school resource officer who can engage the assailant and 5 to 10% of school staff members who've been trained and armed to protect the kids in classrooms. You're not talking about teachers walking around with guns in the hallway trying to prevent things, right? This is something where people would be trained and if in a horrific incident, it's needed, they'd be put into action. Absolutely. And, and in fact, what we did with the teachers is we, we, we were even overly conservative, we thought, with the, the assumption for the concealed carry from the teachers. And what we did is we had those individuals in the model shelter in place protecting their students. So in essence, we had those concealed carry individuals telling the children, stand behind me, I'll protect you, as opposed to stand behind me and let me get shot first. And uh, basically, that outcome showed that at about 5% concealed carry, that we could reduce casualties. You know, and again, they stayed in the classroom. They didn't act as surrogates for police. They didn't get out in the hallway, which we felt would be complicating for the police officers that are responding. We thought, you know, let's let's be very conservative, and even with that very conservative kind of approach, and again, a thousand repetitions in the model, um, we showed that we could reduce casualties by five or ten percent, even with a five percent concealed carry um, population and the teachers. Uh, that's assuming just a random distribution of the the concealed carry in the school and a random distribution of which which classroom or which what direction the shooter actually takes once they get in the room. So the, the other thing is you ask about how do we know this works? We actually modeled the Columbine shooting event, which there's great forensics right down to the second, uh, who was shot, how, you know, how many were shot in what room and what location. And our model can uh, exactly duplicate that process. And then we can, on top of that, start to overlay new training that might be put in place for the school students before the event. You know, we could go back, you know, not necessarily go back in time, but we could look at what happens if run, hide, fight existed um, before the Columbine event. And we've got some interesting results even from looking at, at, at that. In what sense? Well, run, hide, fight, uh, which, you know, uh, has also... By, by, by other groups is called avoid, uh, deny, defend. Basically, um, our results showed that run was by far the best answer. You only stop running when you need to hide to decide which direction, you know, I need to run next. And fight is kind of the last resort. 
what we did find is this idea of sheltering in place in schools is actually um, can be very problematic. That way, the, the shelter in place actually turned out, or the hide, turned out to be the way that you maximize casualties, not minimize casualties. That's fascinating, right? Wow. And, and that's because the shooters can just track down a whole group of people? Yeah, the shooters are in control. They've got all the decision-making, and you're waiting on response. And if the response is slow or ineffective, you're going to have more casualties. The only reason the response or the casualties weren't higher at Columbine is the the, the two armed um, shooters were very selective about who, who they picked as victims. They, they stepped past multiple people that they could have shot, but they just chose not to. So the conundrum here is, and by the way, I think I have to apologize. And again, my brain is very soft. I, I asked you if you go by Eric or Jay, but you're, I think I mispronounced Eric. your last name. But, but it's Dietz, right? Is it Dietz or? Correct. Okay. Eric I think Dietz. I mispronounced. The, I was just going to reintroduce you here. This is one of my brilliant days it's in broadcasting with the brain. Eric Dietz is the director of Homeland Security and student at Purdue University. The, the conundrum would be that, from my standpoint, just sort of listening last night, knowing a little bit about this gun issue, talking about it, sadly, for decades about these shootings, that what you're proposing would actually work. The problem is nobody wants to hear your ideas in education, right? Well, some do. Okay. Um, we, we, we actually have one Indiana school whose superintendent actually has taken upon himself to arm the teachers. Um, he's looked at a number of different solutions from adding ballistic screens in the classroom and a number of different devices, but he's come up with an approach that solves that problem. When we originally looked at this modeling, we, we looked at this modeling as something that could be used across the country that individual communities could put in the police response time for their area and they could put in their values. Some communities don't want any weapons in the school. We have some school resource officers who aren't armed, um, and others have a, a different uh, tolerance for, for weapons in the schools. And I think it really comes down to understanding the area you're in. If you're in a very densely urban area, it may not make as much sense as it does in a lot of rural America that has some of these uh, exceedingly large response times just because low population density, lots of, lots of land, and it just takes some time to get uh, you know, to some of these events. Um, many of our rural counties um, you know, may only have a couple of officers on duty at any given time, and they may be pretty big counties that you know, are maybe 20 or 30 miles across or more. So are you getting, because I think this needs to be at least discussed and, and debated and, and vetted and all that stuff, you know, nationally, we should have some conversations about these types of things as well. Are you getting on the radar of any of the policymakers on a broader scale? Well, that's ideally what the model was intended to help guide is the, some of those policy decisions. You know, the, the old woodworking, um, you know, measure twice, cut once kind of thing. Um, you know, we, we, we hope that the model could be used to try to help make better policies. Uh, but unfortunately, um, I, I think we've got a lot of uh, a lot of our policymakers have kind of made up their mind on this. And, and each of these events, we see, you know, everybody go to their 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 corners and we're not seeing a lot of sort of, um, you know, um, 
you know, give and take that, that is needed to try to come up with a policy that does effectively solve the problem. It's almost as if we don't want to solve the problem. Mm. You know, the, the problem, one of the issues is, from my perspective, look, I'm, I'm a gun owner. I'm not a rabid gun owner. I have rifles. I hunt. I've shot all kinds of weapons before over the course of my life, very safely with, you know, with people who know a lot about firearms and even some mentors of mine. But the people in even just using an example of my life who don't like guns, they've never been around guns and they don't like guns at all so when they hear that idea of a teacher maybe being armed they just they don't even want to engage at all even though there's a lot of merit to that but you know just the psychology of this eric is is difficult because those people in suburban america urban america that have not been exposed you know to guns they they'd rather have everyone you know have them confiscated or taken away or ban them which is not logical or realistic or constitutional, but that's why this conversation maybe is so hard to, to talk about because people have not had safe experiences with guns. They right. think guns are... It's an know, emotional always, reaction. Yeah, right. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Um, I, I, I agree completely. Now, Indiana has um, a number of school safety grant programs. We've actually done some surveys to see how those grant programs were being utilized. They were really... Um, three buckets that you might say that um, the money was allocated in. One big bucket, um, a substantial um, a percentage, uh, 50% or so, was to hire school resource officers. I think that's a great idea. About another 40%, maybe a little over 40%, was for um, improvements to facilities, um, gunshot detectors, yeah. locked doors, ballistic glass, all those kinds of things. Right. Um, that, that's a good idea. The, the thing that surprised me is the, what is the cheapest and probably um, least expensive way of trying to mitigate some of these active shooting events is training. And training was a very, very small percentage. That's where I think the country really needs to improve on. Um, you know, as, as bad as these events may be, uh, informing our, our children, our educators, and our elected officials that confronting these problems with understanding what do you need to do if one of these events happens um, is probably the most important thing to, you know, again, as, as we showed, shelter in place is a bad idea. Might, it might leave a tidy crime scene, but um, it, it is probably, at least from our modeling's uh, results, uh, evidence that that is going to leave the most casualties that you can have. Uh, yeah, so how, how do you that. get to the point where that, you know, where we reassess that training? And you're talking about when you're talking about training, you're talking about educators and people in schools, right? Yeah, like, yeah. A, like a fire drill, right. but an active shooter drill and uh, and trying to do that in an effective way that it informs the policymakers of those policy options. You know, do you leave, do you leave the children in the classroom with a locked door? Do you improve the locks on the door? Um, the, the Texas shooting, uh, you know, we had locks on the door and they basically, you know, hadn't trained enough to understand who had the key and how do you get the key to get past the locked door? Mm. Um, you know, so, you know, there was it seems like there was significant delay, at least from what we've had publicly reported so far over just the simple thing of the locked door. So, you know, you, you we can say, you know, there were a couple of training events. Uh, or training activities that seem to be underdone. The, the active shooter response typical for law enforcement seemed to not be done properly. The locked door and, and overcoming the locked door by the police did not seem to be done effectively. Um, you know, the, not the uh, 
public safety access point or the 911 operators. That didn't seem to be done yeah, up, uh, you know, optimally. Right, exactly. Uh, well, listen, I find this fascinating. Do you have, is there a, a place on a website at Purdue or any places where we can access the research? Some of the papers are at Purdue. Um, several of these were recently published in the Journal of Emergency Management, and they can be found on that journal's website as well. Well, you're assuming I don't subscribe to that, Eric. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. This was really, really interesting, and I'm glad that Cam recommended you. So I appreciate it. I hope you get the word out a little bit more. Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 